You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello, Legal Talk Network listeners. This is producer Lawrence Coletti coming to you from our home studios. What you're about to hear are a couple of interviews covering Above the Laws Academy for Private Practice, which is an event that recently took place at Times Square, New York. In this first of two interviews, Joe Patrice, editor from Above the Law, talks with Jared Correa, Nikki Black, and Carolyn Elephant about their presentation titled Break the Bottleneck, Managing Workflow. We now cut to Joe making introductions. Ellie couldn't be with us. He's running another panel or something. People care what he says. I don't know. It's, it's a new thing for me. But I have all of the panelists, well, not all, a short one. I have most of the panelists from a panel that we just had on technology and workflow issues. So I'm going to introduce, I got Jared Cree here, who's also a Legal Talk Network host, for those of you who want to find some more podcasts to listen to. I have Nikki Black, who was our moderator for today's panel, and Carolyn Elephant, who was on the panel as well. Welcome, everybody. How was, uh, how was your panel? Good. Have some fun up there? Yeah. It was a great panel. Nikki I kept yeah. us in line. Yeah. Mm. Well, Crack the whip. So I popped in to hear a litany of different technological solutions that could be used to fix your workflow. You, Jared, were listing a bunch of programs, some of which you may not remember off the top of your head, but, <laughs> but it, was, uh, it was helpful. It was lots of free stuff that people who are trying to start up a practice might use. We talked a lot about workflow, I think, more than anything else. Now you could use technology to better invest yourself in your workflow. So case management came up, obviously. A lot of great case management tools out there right now. I was saying I couldn't even keep a list anymore. I gave up after a while because there's so many good case management products out there. I recommend those on a regular basis at uh, my job. I've probably consulted with over a thousand lawyers since I've been at LoMap and I probably recommend a case management software uh, 999 times. So I'm, I'm a definite advocate of that because it provides sort of a holistic practice solution where you've got all your stuff, it's one-stop shopping, and you can get the holistic view of your cases and also sort of drill down onto each of the client files. Yeah, it sounded great. I was sitting there thinking, those are my favorite guilty pleasure when I go to a conference. They're great panels where I hear a lot of substantive stuff, but the ones where they just drill down and go, here are the five things that you need to go out and get right now are my, my favorite ones. I always turn those around into something immediately afterwards. Speaking of programs that you can use to do useful things. Carolyn, you were talking about you were talking about billing and how you don't like it, mm. prefer to do things flat fee, but you were talking about some ways in which you uh, deal with your billing and your practice. So I guess the primary thing that I've done to speed up payment of invoices is just doing the bills electronically and any case management system is going to support electronic billing. I use FreshBooks, which is a non-legal application, but it's basically they're all the same thing. You put the bill, to, it compiles a bill from the either your your hours that you already estimated and then it um, sends, you can send a link to somebody and they can view it in the portal or you can print it out or send it in PDF format. But I find that when people get it electronically, they're just more inclined to pay it much more quickly. And I get paid almost invariably like within seven days of, of sending these things out, which is pretty quick as far as I'm concerned. So Yeah, we had an earlier panel talking about the importance of a professional-looking invoice, and yeah, FreshBooks yeah. gives you that. Yeah, so you can you can put your logo on it and your um, your address where the money gets sent, or you can send, like I said, you can send a link and people can pay it electronically by credit card or electric check, and yeah, you just get paid more quickly, so. Yeah, huge for somebody trying to run their own. The amount of 
adage that I heard from some. I never was in by myself. I was I was at a small-ish firm, but never small. But I always heard that it's about forty percent lawyering and sixty percent administrative garbage. <laughs> so yes. the more you can use technology to leverage that, the better. Indefinitely. So I guess now let's talk cloud. I heard a rant about the way in which, oh my, don't put Chinese dissidents' information on the cloud uh, <laughs> when I hopped in. So w- what's the challenge of the cloud? Like, it's it's this useful thing, but there's, there's some dangers. Well, and I'll preface this by saying yeah, I am with my case, so you're going to think what I'm saying means I, it's because I've got some skin in the game, but I've been writing about the cloud for years. I wrote Cloud Computing for Lawyers at the ABA published in 2012, and that was published before I was working for a cloud computing company. So what I'm seeing now, if you look at my book, you'll see comports with my writings in that book long before I had skin in the game. So I just want to get that out there. But when it comes to cloud computing, you know, at the end of the day, you have to exercise reasonable care to ensure that your confidential client data remains secure. So. For most lawyers and for most of their confidential client data, as long as you vet the cloud computing provider, as long as you do it thoroughly, you're okay putting your data in the cloud. That being said, there are particular types of information, like the one we always like to bring up, anyone that talks about the cloud is, if you are at Coca-Cola and you have Coke's formula, you're not going to put that formula in the cloud. You're going to put that formula in a safe where it's going to require two or three other employees at a very high level in the company to work together to open that safe because it's such a valuable piece of information to the company's business. So there's certain stuff that is highly sensitive that you wouldn't put in the cloud, but for the most part, what most lawyers are doing on a day-to-day basis, as long as you've thoroughly vetted the provider and asked the right questions about their processes and their backup systems and how often your data is backed up and how it's stored and where it's stored, then you should be able to put your confidential client data in the cloud without a problem. Interesting. Yeah, I think there's a lot of miseducation out there about the cloud, which is the biggest problem, especially for lawyers because they're often behind the technology curve. I still get emails from people where the whole substance of the email is, what is the cloud? That's what they ask me. And nine times out of ten, I'm getting an email from somebody who has a Gmail account. So you may not know what it is, but you're using it. Yeah. Right. And, and, and Nikki's right. They're sort of almost developing this national consensus that you know reasonable care and reasonable use is what you need to do. I think there are what 25 states now have an ethics opinion on Tennessee cloud Tennessee just came out with one last month. Uh, That's wouldn't latest. it have been nice if they all collaborated on one uniform opinion? Oh, that, that would be nice. Of 50 yeah. Different states. <laughs> the other 25 will weigh in. They have to keep their staff busy. Right. <laughs> Let's start a petition. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I wanted to branch into was talk about some stuff that may not be directly related to the panel, but is definitely related to starting a solo small practice. So, Carolyn, you you started uh, My Shingle, Mm -hmm. which is a tremendous resource for people who are trying to do this. So, over the years of fielding questions from people like this, what bit of advice do you feel like you're constantly giving people who come to you asking about starting up? To be honest, I mean, most of it is just the encouragement. That's why people go to my blog. I don't have the most technology information or the most practice management information, but I think that there's so much possibility and so much that you can do in starting a practice, and people are just very nervous about it. They don't know if they can succeed. And it just takes somebody to tell them, look, you really can do this. I mean, you know, when I started, I'm sure when anybody starts, they will tell you stories about how 30 different people said, oh, you're going to make money, you're going to fail, you know, blah, 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 blah. And that's really sad. For better or for worse, that's what most people um, want to hear is to just know that, you know, they have the resources to do. And today, there's so much more information 
available out there, you know, with all these blogs. When I started my shingle, except for the bar associations, there was no other source of information on the solo experience. And today there's a myriad of, of resources. So just, um, you know, I think it's not so much these, the how-to, but just knowing that you can do it. Well, and that the myriad of resources is a good transition. So we've talked about this on a previous episode of Thinking Like a Lawyer when we had Jared on. This Jared Korea saturation going on right now. Yeah, I know, right? You're all over the place. But no, Jared, what you do is actually the kind of resource that's out there that people may not know about that they can take advantage of. Oh, yeah, and Carolyn's a pioneer. I mean, she presaged all of this stuff. And now I have the luxury to sort of get paid to do this. I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad time to start your own practice. I mean, when I, when I started working with lawyers who were starting their practices, I think I started at LOMAP in late 2008, and there was a financial crisis going on at that time. And people were coming to me solely because they were desperate. They didn't know what else to do. Um, and so that was harrowing in a lot of ways because I was trying to coax them into starting a practice that they didn't really want to practice. Uh, what I'm seeing now, though, is people engaging solo practice in a more meaningful way, in a more intentional way. So it's something they want to do. And the technology has just gotten better and better over time. And it's so much easier to practice now for less money than you could ever. The overhead can be so low now starting a practice. Um, so if folks are out there listening and they're thinking about starting a practice, read Carolyn's blog, and it's really not a bad time to do it. Going to law school may not have been the best decision, but now that you've done that, you start your own practice. Yeah, you can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. <laughs> That's right. Well, you, you can. Yeah, it's yeah, just going to cost you a couple yeah. hundred thousand dollars. So, Nikki, now, you cover technology for us occasionally right. at Above the Law. So bi-weekly. What? Yeah, bi-weekly. That's correct. That's, by the way, that's one of my big pet peeves is the misuse of bi as opposed to semi. But yes, bi-weekly. So what technology is fascinating you right now? Like what thing have you seen recently? There have been some, we've had some tech shows and so on. What's really the thing you're most excited about is either legal tech proper or some non-legal application out there that you see potential for? What I'm really pumped up about right now is wearables. As soon as, you know, it came down the pike that the Apple Watch was coming out, for me, that was it. Because I had Google Glass. Tim uh, Stanley at Justia was kind enough to help me actually get a free pair for review purposes. And so I had Google Glass, and I tried that out, and it was just before its time. It really was not ripe. And I think that that's partly why they pulled it, and now they're reintroducing it for uh, the medical field and for um, manufacturing and business. But Apple Watch, I knew, because when Apple does something, they do it right. And when they roll it out, everything else follows. And that's what happened with the iPhone. That's what happened with the iPad. And you know, I got my Apple Watch the day it came out, and I love it. And I can't imagine, I mean, I can't imagine life without it, but I'm so used to it, and it's so useful. And particularly for lawyers, particularly for women lawyers, I think, and that's a market that often is not discussed. I think it's going to be incredibly valuable because for lawyers in general, the notifications make it so that you can, when you're in a meeting or when you're pre- presenting, you can check and see what time it is. You can see if you got a really important notification come through and you don't miss calls. You know, you get phone calls that you otherwise would miss because especially for women, your phone's in your purse. Yeah. When the, when the watch came out, I was like, uh, yeah, it's cool, but why would I need it? And a female lawyer friend of mine said, it will be huge for me because my phone's always in my purse. So, yeah. And like with the men, the phone is next to your body. It's either yeah. in your pocket or in your coat. It buzzes and you feel it. We, I miss stuff all the time and it's not work-related stuff. 
family stuff. Like, I miss it all the time. I'm out with my husband for dinner. The kids are at home, and we just want to know if they're okay. Just stuff like that. And then the navigating. Someone else was just telling me, like, that they were talking to somebody and how having your phone out when you're in, um, walking in New York is one of the easiest <laughs> ways to get mugged. So yeah. when I travel... I use my watch to navigate. You don't look like a tourist. It taps you on the wrist, tells you which way to go when you're walking. It's fabulous for traveling. And I am convinced that I think in two years, 50% of lawyers will have some sort of smartwatch. And smart I gather watch. the new operating system's going to introduce, I, I was reading up on it, it there's a new out. operating system that's going to make it work a lot better than when it first started out, too. It's the diamond in the rough. It's like yeah. what the iPhone was when it first came out before the App Store. It's honestly, I think... I could be wrong. I've been wrong about certain things, but I think it's going to really take off very quickly. Especially on the holidays, it's a nice cheap thing to buy for people that already have everything. You know. All right. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our program. I want to thank all of you for participating, not only in the conference today, but on the show. If anybody wants to reach out to you, is there some way to get a hold of everybody? Uh, sure. I'm at elephant at myshingle.com, or they can just go to myshingle.com. You can either follow me on Twitter um, and reach out to me there, N-I-K-I-B-L-A-C-K, at Nikki Black, or email me at Nikki at MyCase.com. I'm disappointed you didn't ask me about my flip phone, but <laughs> I'm over it. So uh, MassLowMap.org is where you can find information about me, and I'm also pretty active on Twitter, Jared Correa, J-A-R-E-D-C-O-R-R-E-I-A. We hope you enjoyed this first of two interviews. Up next, Joe Patrice continues his coverage of Break the Bottleneck, Managing Workflow with presenter and guest Jennifer Ellis. We now cut to that interview, already in progress. Joining me right now is Jennifer Ellis. She's a legal ethics attorney with the Philadelphia firm of Lowenthal and Abrams and the author of WordPress in One Hour for Lawyers. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You were on an earlier panel that we had, uh, but we couldn't grab you then because you had to go do another Correct. workshop. So yes. you're, you're very busy here today. Yes, and losing my voice, so please pardon how it oh, sounds. This is why we created the microphones. Yes. I'm sure they'll be able to pick it up. Good. So let's kind of take them in order. So in the original uh, panel that you were on, you were talking kind of about workflow and technological way, ways of leveraging tech to help out a small firm lawyer get their job done, basically. Right, yeah. So walk us through like some of the tips, tricks, thoughts you had in that, uh, in that panel. Well, I always say I'm an ethics lawyer. So I, and also into technology, so I speak from both perspectives. And the first thing I say is make sure you understand the rules. I know that sounds boring, but people get in trouble so much simply because they don't know the rules. Simple things can really cause a lot of trouble. So the first thing is make sure you understand them. And a lot of states, including one of my co-speakers, Jared, they offer law practice management coordinators for free. And if you have that service, I strongly recommend you take advantage of it because they can sort of help you get your feet wet and figure out what you need to look at. So that's the first thing is, is know what the issues are and, and don't be afraid to get a mentor and ask for help because people are more than willing to help. That's why you have all these speakers today because they want to help. They want to make the profession better. They want to help people, keep people out of trouble. So ask for help. Mm -hmm. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is you have to be organized from day one. Even if you're not spending money on software and on technology, you have to have a plan and you have to be organized because if you're not, you're going to miss the statute of limitation and we all know what that means and that's why we call it SOL, right? Well, you end up in above the law then. Yes, you do and it's embarrassing. So while I love being involved with above the law, I certainly would not want to be on it for that reason. Right. And... 
So that's the other thing, it's, it's be organized. And the third thing to understand is as a solo or a small, with the technology we have today, you truly are in a position to compete with the big guys. There's no reason you can't compete because the technology is there if you are organized and you streamline yourself and you take advantage of these myriad tools that are really not outside anyone's reach when you stop and you look at the cost as compared to the risks mm -hmm. and as compared to buying everything piecemeal, you really can do an amazing amount of stuff, both in terms of how you organize yourself, how you communicate with your clients and opposing counsel and your experts, how you bill, mm -hmm. how you get your money back, and of course, how you market. There's all sorts of great stuff out there. Yeah, it strikes me as though on the We've talked a little bit about billing with other folks, but the from an ethics perspective, there's also how you account. Yes. Uh, I always joke that it seemed through the process of the character and fitness that the only thing anybody cared about was commingling. Like that seemed <laughs> like that was the only. I was like, there are other ethics rules, right? Yeah. But that was all anyone cared about, and that's given that we are not accountants by trade, that's like one of the, I think one of the biggest challenges to somebody starting up their own thing is they have to stay on top of these. And it seems as though there's now technological solutions that can help lawyers not make that kind of a mistake. Yes, knowing the IOTA rules for your state, go to IOTA, they will help you. And a lot of states do offer seminars. Making sure you use technology that helps you divide your trust stuff and your non-trust stuff. Case Map, Clio, Rocket Matters, all these programs have ways to help you with this. And make sure, again, that you know the rules so you can sit down and be prepared to deal with them. And if you're going to use a credit card, which is great for a lot of lawyers, make sure you use one and a bank that understands the ethical rules and is going to help you with those matters. Well, real quick, what was uh, your workshop? How did uh, that uh, Yeah. Well, my second seminar yeah, was second. actually for a local bar association from uh, where I come from. Oh, okay. And it was on uh, how to avoid getting in trouble with technology. Well, so you, you've, had a, you've had a big technology day. Then. I always have <laughs> big technology days. Well, you know, um, the big news, I guess, is this event we're doing next year in your backyard. Yeah, so that's great. You go down great. to Philadelphia, so... People should mark their calendars. Actually, I shouldn't say that because I don't know what the date is. There is a date. I just don't know what it it's is. It's on but, the website. Yeah, it's on the website. Yeah, th there you go. See, you're helping me understand my own company better than I there do. There you go. See, that's the kind of services that you can outsource. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much for not only participating in the conference, but definitely coming on the, the special reports here. Thank you. So... If anyone has any follow-up questions, do you have a Twitter handle or some way people can reach you? Yes, Twitter is J-L-E underscore J-D, my initials. Right. Email is Jennifer at net. We hope you enjoyed this two-part series of interviews as much as we had recording them. This has been another edition of Special Reports. Until next time, thank you for listening. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.